All opinions expressed by Davidson Capital Management on MoneyWise are solely theirs and are based upon information they consider reliable and is subject to change without notice. You should be aware of the risk in investing in any security or investment strategy discussed on the show. Before acting, you should consider whether it is suitable for your particular circumstances and should seek advice from your own financial or investment advisor. Past performance is not indicative of future results. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. Got your Money Wise guys back inside the Money Wise studio with me for this weekend show. I have my brother Jeff, Joe Rust, and I am your host, Kyle Davidson. Now, if you're a new listener to the Money Wise program, Davidson Capital Management is a fee-only registered investment advisor. We're in our 33rd year of business, and with offices in San Antonio and Corpus Christi, Texas, we have your investment management needs covered throughout Central and South Texas. And if you'd like to learn more about us, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Tuesday to discuss your personal financial situation or take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from your Money Wise guys, you can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. If you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. And don't forget, you can subscribe to the Money Wise podcast through Apple Podcasts or any of your favorite streaming podcast apps where you can leave your comments. And don't forget to like the show. As we kick off every weekend's Money Wise program, I turn it over to my brother, Jeff, to go into the numbers from Wall Street from last week. So, Jeff, take it away. Okay, in the week just passed, the Dow Jones Industrial Average was down about 659 points, or 1.9%. The S&P 500 last week was down about 70 points, or 1.6%. And the NASDAQ last week was down about 243 points, or 1.8%. Now, for the year to date, the Dow Jones Industrial Average is down 6.2%. The S&P 500 is down 8.8%. And the NASDAQ year to date is down 13.4%. Thank you, Jeff. You're welcome. Well, what a week. I would say this was the week of the rise of the machines. Because when I look at the volume in the S&P 500, with the exception of Monday, The rest of this past week, volumes have been below average from a longer-running historic standpoint. And when you have a situation where you have fewer participants, um, you can seem to get these more exacerbated moves in the market. Well, if the buyers are on strike, any, any level of selling pressure whether it's from the machines, whether it's from individual investors, will get amplified. Uh, the losses this week, if you really, it, most of them were on Thursday because so, uh, if I, Thursday's uh, Dow was down over 500 points at the close, almost was over, minus, six, over, 600. over 600. So you know, we talked about it, last week was in our our note to clients was revenge of the Fridays, and this was revenge of the Thursdays because most of the week happened. Uh, most of the week's losses occurred on on Thursday, although we added to them a little bit on Friday. Yeah, this the the drumbeat continues about you know what's happening with Ukraine. You know what's happening with with you know, is there going to be invasion? When is there going to be an invasion? Uh, we we have had, I mean, in the thirty three years of managing money, 
one thing that is always present in, in, in the investing equation is, is some level of geopolitical risk. I mean, it's just always, it's always existing in the background. At certain times, that, that geopolitical risk is brought to the forefront, is the headline piece of news, and it just gets worn out and worn out and worn out and worn out and worn out. I mean, it almost, should be almost it, like the, gre- the the Greek debt crisis from it, a few years back. It was like every summer we had to deal with yep. the debt, Greek debt crisis, and, and the markets and reacted in the U.S. Tough, it. it is tough to hedge against, too. I mean, I've read several articles. I mean, what are you going to do? Buy gold? I mean, how, how, and you're also subject yourself, subject yourself to market timing when you're trying to use hedges to manage geopolitical, geopolitical risk. I mean, which could change at the drop of a hat. Energy's been well, up, but guess what? Energy was down this week. So. Exactly. Let's, let's, let's make one thing clear that one hedging strategy in a time like this is absolutely the wrong thing to do. And that is to sell every single stock in your portfolio and go and, and just sit in cash. That is the absolute wrong thing to do. And I and I I know there's probably there may be some folks that are listening to us today that have been thinking about doing that. Say they're close to retirement. You know, I just can't afford to lose any money because I'm getting ready to go in retirement, or I I just went into retirement and I can't I I just can't afford to have any losses in my portfolio. And it's it's like if you're gonna if you need to live off this money, you need to have some level of withdrawal in your portfolio. You're gonna have to have some exposure to stocks. The, the question is, is that do you want to have some exposure to stocks in your portfolio that are most at risk in this kind of environment or those, those, those types of stocks in your portfolio that are less at risk but still may decline in value? Yes, Kyle. Well, I was going to say, kind of to add on to your point, when you see the market go through a corrective move like we've been going through since the beginning of the year, and you see unrealized, unrealized losses in your portfolio. If you followed that hedging strategy, which we recommend no one ever follow to sell out and sit on the sidelines in cash until you feel it's safer to come back into the Wall Street waters, you have now taken those unrealized losses and have turned them into realized losses. So don't forget that. You have to understand unrealized losses are paper losses. They have not been realized. So if you have done the right moves in your portfolio, reallocated your portfolios, know what you own, like we have been preaching on this show for the last 16 years, doing a portfolio review and analysis, and if you're working with someone that hasn't made any adjustments in your portfolio in years, the question you should be asking yourself is why? Because we have talked on this show, all of the moves that we made in our portfolios on January 3rd, the rebalancing, the changing to our index base, the massive changes we made on the fixed income side of our portfolio, those seeds that we have planted have already started to sprout roots even during this corrective period in the market. Yes, we have a f- certain areas in our portfolios that are slightly underperforming the broader market, but we know what these positions in our portfolio are designed for as far as bringing and fueling higher growth it, in the portfolio. It, it, and during market corrections, they typically get hit a little bit simple. harder. It's pretty simple. What's the number one reason you want to own stocks in your portfolio? Number one reason. 
to grow money. Grow money, right. But grow with beat inflation, right? So if we're, we have inflation at a 7% handle or a 5% handle or a 3% handle, you know, that's the number one That's reason. what stocks are historically yes. designed for. They're designed to outpace monetary inflation over the long term, not fixed income. At least the way we own fixed income is for safety and for income, not to generate large capital gains on the fixed income side of the portfolio. But that's what you use stocks for, and stocks are used historically to outpace monetary inflation and to grow your nest egg so you can live off that money in retirement. So let's take our first commercial break. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. You Money Wise guys will be back after this. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Tuesday to discuss your personal financial situation or take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from you Money Wise guys, you can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. If you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. And don't forget, you can subscribe to the MoneyWise podcast through Apple Podcasts or any of your favorite podcast streaming apps where you can leave your comments and don't forget to like the show. So if you're just tuning into this weekend's Money Wise program, just continuing to recap the happenings of Wall Street from last week. And again, this past week, there was a lot more hand-wringing about the Russia-Ukraine invasion scenario. I know, uh, I guess our favorite, uh, James Bullard, the St. Louis Fed president, opened his mouth again, talking more and more hawkish. But although we did have other Fed governors come out this past week talking a little more dovish. And I know that we've had this conversation on the radio show, and I think we all kind of have our positions in place as far as what we feel the Fed is going to do. Myself, I feel the Fed's going to be moving a little bit more slow, slowly and deliberately as far as the interest rate increases are concerned. And I think around the April-May time frame, we can start to see the inflation numbers start to tick down. But as I've said on past shows, The Federal Reserve has tools in their toolbox. I just don't believe that they have the right tools in this inflation scenario because it is completely different from inflation scenarios we've had in years and decades past because we know what has really driven this inflation, and it's really an end result of the COVID pandemic, the lockdowns, all the stimulus money that has been going to families and and individuals across this country and the lack of spending money on the service sector side of the economy that has really driven up a lot of these prices, which I think as time and this year goes on, will start to subside, giving the Fed a little bit more cover to walk and move a little bit slower and not be as hawkish as they have been perceived to be so far as we've gotten to this point of the year, which again has been one of the biggest contributing factors to the corrective moves we've seen in the market. I did want to just get technical for one quick second, if you guys will indulge me, because this is a classic correction that the markets have been going through. From the intraday high of the S&P 500, which occurred on January 4th of this year, To Friday's close, the S&P 500 has seen a 9.75% correction. Now, 10% is considered a normal run-of-the-mill correction. Now, I know for all of our listeners and all investors, the last thing they they the last thing they want to see in their portfolio is negative numbers or unrealized losses. We understand that. 
We've been managing money for over 33 years. We get that. But these are, this is again, what you have to, to be emotionally prepared for when you want to invest on Wall Street, when you want to invest in stocks. Stocks can go through seasons. Stocks can go through cycles. Economies, stock markets, they go through cycles. This too shall pass. Let me just remind all of our listeners, since 1926, since 1926, the S&P 500 has had a positive return in a given year 74% of the time. So the analogy I use is if someone came up to you on the street and said, if you go to Vegas right now, not saying Wall Street's Vegas, but let's say someone comes up to you and says, Back up if you go to Vegas, yeah, if, if you go to Vegas right now and every bet you make, you're going to win 74% of the time, every single person would be on a flight, on a Southwest flight out to Vegas, knowing that they're going to be winning 74% of the time. Well, since 1926, the stock market has won 74% of the time. But you have to keep your emotions in check and understand that this are the mechanisms. This is what happens on Wall Street. The markets climb up. They have to take a breather. They come back down. They find a base. They take a break. And then they get back to climbing higher. And it can take time. So what you're saying is you can control your emotions and remember that. But you can't control the stock market. You can't control geopolitical risk. You can't control inflation and you can't control rates. So what you can't control is how you approach things on a daily basis and make sure you do know what you own. And I think some of the moves that we made early this year go into an equally weighted portfolio where we don't own more than 1% of any particular stock. Those are the little things you can do to help mitigate your risk and, and make sure you're doing the right things. That's right. We balanced away from single stock risk. And that is the one thing that we wanted to do and what we worked on so hard in the fourth quarter to prepare our portfolios for 2022, which, again, we've been talking about on this show are going to be more volatile. And they've already proven our prediction from the fourth quarter of last year already so far this year in 2022. Something you want to add, Jeff? Well, I think the question now is how much worse can it get? That's, that's one of the questions. That's, that's the biggest question for us. Yeah. You know, in terms of allocating assets is, is, is this, are we near the end of this? You know, is, is this one of these situations where we're selling the rumor? We're selling Ukraine's, you know, the Russians are going to go in to Ukraine. We're selling that we're going to have 25 interest rate increases in, in 2022. I'm, it's firmly tongue in cheek, ladies and gentlemen. I'm, that's not what the market is pricing in. There, some people say seven, some people say nine interest rate increases. Goldman, which, I think it's at six now. Which, which I, 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 I'm going to, next week I'm going to bring in my list. That hasn't happened since I think 2005 that we've had that many in a single year. But, you know, don't, don't, necessarily quote me on that I'll, I'll get that research for you on the next show i it, i tend to be somewhere in the middle it, you know kyle's on the lower end uh, the markets seem to be on the much higher end i'm i'm thinking probably five pardon me which gets you to one and a quarter percent on the uh fed funds rate and ladies and gentlemen that is the end of capitalism as we know it no it's not it is not the end of capitalism as we know it there are going to be segments of the market that have been stars 
in 2020 and 2021 that are not going to be stars for an extended period of time. Some of those names we've already, we've talked about like Peloton and some of these, these COVID names that that did, that did so well. We don't own any of them, but we do own a few, few of the names that did very, very well that aren't necessarily COVID stocks, but many, some of them have been taken out to the woodshed. Now, whether the, whether the woodshed has been closed and we're not going to do this anymore, uh, that's left to be seen. But what we, what we're faced with now is we're faced with an environment where at least for the next couple of weeks, and I, I was warning, we were talking about this before we went into this weekend's radio show, record this weekend's show. Who's to say that the, the, the whole Ukraine deal doesn't go on for months? Who's to say that they don't sit there on the border and do all this stuff and and just you know run up energy prices, which actually came down this week because of this Iran yeah. situation, which well, I don't have too it, much information it, on. Just, but. just just you know to get the stock market wringing their hands enough to really mess with with Joe Biden come uh, midterm elections. If the midterm elections were held today, you, we all have a pretty pretty high confidence level that the Republicans would take over, which the markets would love because there'd be complete gridlock in Washington. But that's still we got to get to November. So if, well, Putin I, still, I, if Putin is still doing this on the on the border for another couple of months, it, you know, does the market finally say enough is enough? We we've taken all these stocks out to the woodshed as much as we want to take them. We, we we've We've got it down to, to, to doesn't make a lot of sense. Interest rates rising or not, and we start headed the other way. Is that five percent more down? Is that ten percent more down? Do we have to have? We do we have to get to minus twenty on the S and P five hundred? So everybody can say, oh, we had the bear market. Now we can go in, and, but we and had buy the bear, And so what is had, this? Go ahead, Kyle. I was going to say we had the bear market March of twenty twenty. We had the right. bear market. And we, also had had a, we also had an almost, yeah, we almost had it was a, a bear market. That's right. We also had one at the end of 2018, the fourth quarter. We came very, I think, very, very close. Very, very close. Very, very a close. With, we're with really a hair. There, so. We've gone higher. We've gone higher. But, Jeff, to your point about are we selling the rumor and buying the news, I agree. I feel that the market is selling the rumor and that we'll be buying the news when we finally get to March 16th and we get the Federal Reserve's decision. We're going to get a 25 basis point yeah, or a quarter yeah, of 1% yeah, rate yeah, hike. Yeah, yeah, They're yeah. going to stop the quantitative easing. Yeah, and if they come no. out with dovish. I wish our listeners could see y'all. If they come out with dovish comments, I think that's going to be fuel for the buying to start coming in. Because, again, if you look at the S&P 500, not to get in the technical weeds, but when we typically see – Historically, when you have a traditional corrective move like we're seeing so far this year, you typically have two to three fit and starts where we have the first down move, the market recovers, falls back down, that's step two, goes and recovers, falls back down, step three. We are right now in step three. We're at the bottom end of step three on this corrective move. And when I'm starting to hear some analysts talking about, you know what, it might be time to start doing a little bit of nibbling before the Federal Reserve meeting, I think if things calm down in Russia between Ukraine, I think this will give the market a little bit of cover to start seeing a little bit of buying come in and not being completely controlled by the computers and algorithms. 
Let's take another commercial break. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. Your Money Wise guys will be back after this. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Tuesday to discuss your personal financial situation or take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from your Money Wise guys, you can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll-free at one 800 275 2162 if you'd like to send us an email, you can send it all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. And don't forget, you can subscribe to the MoneyWise podcast through Apple Podcasts or any of your favorite streaming podcast apps where you can leave your comments. And don't forget to like the show. So, you know, talking about the whole Russia-Ukraine thing, I was just reading some statistics this past week. And... You know, the Biden administration just talking about, you know, the imminent attack, imminent attack. Sometimes I think Biden is still in 1982 when Reagan was in the White House and thinking that Russia is the superpower that they once were when they were the USSR and not realizing that Russia's economy is solely dependent on oil and gas the fact that their GDP, their country's GDP, is less than half of that of the state of California. Just the state of California. They spend 8% of their GDP on their military, while NATO spends 20 times that on an annual basis. Russia has the communist Chinese to the east. They have NATO countries that were part of the former USSR on the West minus Ukraine, and that's what this is all about. He doesn't want to be surrounded on the West side of his country by these former Soviet states, or I should say states, countries that are all part of NATO. So this can be ended very quickly. They shut off the pipeline. What is it, Joe? The German, German, Germany came out on Friday and said, we'll take one for the team. Shut Germany, down the pipeline. Let's hit them in the said pocket. They're, they're willing to take one on the chin a little bit economically to stop this from happening. The, the oil and gas. And that would kill the Russian economy, which is already GDP half the size of the state of California. So Russia is not the superpower it once was. Yes, it's a nuclear country. Yes, I've got that. But, but they're not the superpower that they once were. And so all this consternation and hand-wringing over Russia going into the Ukraine when the NATO forces could go in there and wipe Russian soldiers off the face of the map. <clears throat> Again, I, it's just... I say we go to Jeff because he's a little bit older than us and maybe <sighs> has a little bit more Cold War experience. <laughs> wow, you, you're really ancient, Jeff. Wow, he's, he's, he just, he just aged me big time. There he was go. in high school, I Joe. I was crying out loud. Yeah, well. I mean, it was, I, I voted for... By my, my first time to vote, I voted for Reagan's second term. Uh, so I'm not, I think dad would probably be, I mean, I actually, I'll frame it up like this. Do, do we think that the threat from Russia invading Ukraine or potentially invading Ukraine is a larger or smaller threat than what happened during the Cuban missile crisis in the 1960s? And I, 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 I should have, I should have. Brought, looked up how much the markets were down during that time period. Um, 
I, they were probably down more than well, we're down 10% from the highs. We'll just round it off on the S&P 500. They were probably down more like 15 plus. Um, I think really the, the, the bottom, bottom line is what's happening in Ukraine right now investable? Meaning does, if they go in, if, if the Russians do actually invade, does it mean that a decision needs to be made in the portfolio, whether it's most likely you know, selling stocks, reducing allocation to stocks because of that one event? And I, I'm not seeing it. I, I'm not seeing that 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 that's a, it's a uh, it's an investable event. It is. It's definitely adding to the already edginess of the market, as we talked about, as we've been talking about for weeks, we expected the markets to be very, very much on edge. Um, I'm, I'm not necessarily in in the camp that that Kyle is that is expecting a larger, a large drop off in inflation during the year. And if I'm putting words into your mouth, please stop me, Kyle. If I am, well, I wouldn't say the the Federal Reserve will be coming down. Yes, throughout the the, year, I think we'll be around three percent by the end of the year. Whatever the Federal Reserve says in the March meeting and raises interest rates, whether it's twenty-five basis points or fifty, and again, they haven't raised it fifty basis points in a very long time. So that seems unlikely, and there's. If Bullard wants to come out and, and say whatever he wants to say, it's a free country, you know, more power to him. Uh, he can do, do whatever he likes and the markets will continue to trade off of it. We're, you know, we're not trading off of it. it this isn't the first time he's done any of this. He does but, this all but, the time. But so the Federal Reserve, <laughs> the let's, say they, let's say they come out and they cut, cut interest rates a quarter, ba- uh, 25 basis points, a quarter, pardon me, raise them 25 basis points. Uh, mid, in mid-March and say something that the market interprets as dovish, meaning they're not, maybe they're going to raise every other meeting, whatever it is that they're going to do. Just because they say that on that day doesn't mean diddly squat. Because a year ago, they were talking about not raising rates until the year 2023 and 2024. And here we are a year later, and now the market thinks that they're going to raise interest rates seven times. Seven to fifty it's, times. Yeah, yeah, seven, <laughs> seven to, 50, to fifty. Somewhere between seven and fifty. Fifty. Right. We're between now, we can. between now and the end of the year. So the bottom yeah. the bottom line is we and I'm sorry if I'm stealing your thunder here, because if dad was oh. here, he would have hit us at over a ball peen hammer so many times we all would be dead now on this show. We're talking about the Fed so much today. But but, so, the, but, market but that's, that's so the market is so market the market's so concentrated on this one news item we have to talk about it. We have so to. whatever whatever they might say at the end of March means nothing because they they can change their mind and say something else in April if the inflation numbers don't come down the way that maybe Kyle expects or maybe the market expects. So it's 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 this year is going to be volatility like we haven't seen in years, it's going to be range-bound, in my opinion. I, whether we, I think the new highs will be seen later on in the year. I don't think it's going to be at the early part of the year. I think it's going to have to get later into the year. Once, once, ever, once we digest two or three or four interest rate increases, 
the or market, we start to the see market, falling in CPI and PPI. Well, the market has to get used to the new to the new norm, which is going to which is going to be interest quotes. rate increases as far as the eye can see. I, I got a good yes, story sir. about interest rates, by the way. I was, okay. I was talking to one of our buddies, and he's a mortgage. He used to be a mortgage broker. Talking to another mortgage broker. And I was talking to him earlier this week, and they're talking to each other, and like, man, the thirty years at six percent, we'll never see rates this low ever. This is <laughs> what <laughs> year that? was this? Well, six percent. When you get, when you can buy a thirty year at six percent, probably fifty. I mean, years ago, my last probably, home, my last home purchased in two thousand and three. Uh. My first one purchased in 2003. The, the mortgage rate was five and a quarter, I think. We might have seen 6% interest rates prior to the financial crisis somewhere in there. I mean, it's yeah, been a long it, time. It's, 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 got, it's been a long but time. But how about, how about the folks that bought homes in the, in the 1980s that paid teens mm-hmm. and still bought houses and paid 20% on car loans and still bought cars? You mean you still have to pay, well, have a place to live and something to drive? Yeah. Well, well, here's the thing, and, and I had a conversation with a client on Friday about this, and, and Jeff has already mentioned this because he had – I'm not going to put Jeff on the spot with this statistic because he talked about this three or four weeks ago on the show where he showed a span, I think, Jeff, of your memory, if you can remember, what was like 16 interest you're rate increases. About, oh, you're talking about 2005 and 2006, it was 12. It was 12, okay, and the markets can move higher. Markets can move higher. In a rising interest rate environment, because even if the Fed, and I'll repeat this, I've said this repeatedly on this show, even if the Fed raised rates four times this year at a quarter of a percent a time, that's a 1% federal fund rate. That's not the end of capitalism as we know it. Even if they raised it 10 times and took it to 2.5%, historically, that is a low federal funds rate. And depending upon where inflation is, let's say if inflation comes down to, you know, 3% or 4%, even a two and a half year or two and a half percent federal funds rate, we still have a situation where you have a negative yield if inflation is at three and a half so, or 4%. You're talking so about you real, have, real returns. Is what real returns. About. Yeah, real returns. We're still at a negative real return. And so, where is the bond market going to be? I mean, a 3% 10-year treasury at 4% monetary inflation is not putting any retiree on easy street. So it comes right back to the acronym that we've talked about on this show for years now. It's TINA. There is no alternative. And as we said at the beginning of the show, stocks can be utilized and are historically utilized to outpace monetary inflation. But like Jeff said, and like we've been talking to our clients and we've been talking on this radio show, the moves we made at the beginning of the year were to batten down the hatches on our portfolio because we saw choppier waters and grayer clouds in front of our ship. And as so far, that has proven to be right. Now, there might be some breaks in the squalls this year, but I agree with Jeff that I think it's probably going to be later in the year where we can get markets possibly back to new highs. And there's going to be a lot of churning. And like Joe's also said, and what I've said, we could see the market doing the cha-cha, two steps forward, two steps back. We saw that between 2014 and 2015, that market cha-cha for 22 months. So let's take our next commercial break. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. Money Wise, guys, will be back after this. 
Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Tuesday to discuss your personal financial situation or take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from your Money Wise guys, you can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll-free at one 800 275 2162. If you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. Don't forget, you can subscribe to the MoneyWise podcast through Apple Podcasts or any of your favorite streaming podcast apps where you can leave your comments and don't forget to like the show. So in our, we are in our last segment of the first hour of this weekend's MoneyWise program. So with all the things that we've talked about, on this weekend show with all of the churning that's going on in the market, kind of the rise of the computers this past week with the geopolitical risk that is out there with the big unknowns of how big the interest rate increase is going to be on March 16th, how hawkish or how dovish is the fed going to be the ending of quantitative easing? What are investors to do at this point in time? Well, the very first thing that investors should be doing and as we've been talking about for months here on the show, and as Joe so eloquently says, as well as you and I, Kyle, is uh, know what you own and understand well, what role each one of the securities in your portfolio uh, fills. If you have a portfolio allocation that is exactly the same as it was last year, exactly the same as it was in 2020, exactly the same as it was in 2019, I would question whether that asset allocation is right. Uh, most folks and and most uh, folks that are claiming that they manage money don't really make ever make changes to their portfolio. And a, por- a, a certain portfolio construction does not work in every market environment. And I think the biggest key to this this environment is what's happening on in fixed income and in bonds. And we've talked about here over the last month, two months, the changes that we've made in our portfolio, especially on the bond side, which are, you know, I, they're unprecedented to, to borrow one of dad's favorite words uh, in the history of our company. We have sold more bonds in our portfolios in the last two months, continuing with more bonds sold in the last week than we have in the entire history of our company. I would hazard to guess that if you combine the amount of money and bonds that we have sold in the last two months, I wouldn't be surprised if you if you added up every bond we've ever sold in the previous 33 years, it wouldn't equal what we've sold in the last two months. Because it's very rare when we sell bonds in a portfolio. But the situation in the fixed income markets has changed. And the interest rate environment is changing and will be changing uh, for higher yields as far as the eye can see. So this week we com- we completed the sale of the our remaining uh corporate bonds that have been matured in the years twenty in the year twenty twenty five. So now our our individual bonds that we own in our portfolio on the corporate side, we only own bonds that mature this year in 2023 and 2024. We do not own any bonds beyond that. 
Uh, we have not increased our floating rate investments, though we may here in the next few weeks. And we have not increased our short position on long maturity bonds. Uh, that's still something that we're debating, whether we're going to increase that uh, allocation even even higher. The bond portion of the portfolio, whether it's in the individual, individually managed side or whether it's on the our asset builder accounts and on mutual funds and exchange traded funds are doing much better than the market. <clears throat> so that is one thing. If you still own bond mutual funds in your portfolio, you should have sold them a long time ago. You, you know, sell them now. You know, it's yeah, like, I was going to say, it's listen, never, it's never it's too like, late. I mean, listen to me now go and believe me later. Be later. You, need to, you, you need to be <laughs> – Bonds and fronts. You, you should That's not right. own any bond mutual funds in your portfolio. Uh, I would also not – you know, unless you're going to own the absolute shortest of short maturities in terms of an exchange-traded funds and bonds, that might be the only thing – that I would own long bonds. It's got to be short, short maturities. Uh, but even some of those aren't making any money this year. <clears throat> yeah. They're, they're, they're still down, you know, one plus yeah. percent. So on the stock side, we, we went into this year re- reducing our overall risk in the portfolio by reducing concentration in the big five tech names, uh, which, which had the effect overall of reducing, uh, our, Aggregate average, aggregate um, earnings per share, weighted average of our entire stock portfolio are, has come down. That doesn't mean that we haven't taken uh, some hits on a few names, and we have. That's that's part of stock investing. Uh, we will those companies that we've taken hits on are you know week to week, month to month, quarter to quarter, whether they stay in the portfolio long term. One thing that you have to control. In an environment like this is emotions. The market is overly emotional. It's being reflected daily in the, in the constant gyration, whether it's day to day, intraday, hour to hour, three, four hundred move, point moves up and down. That's, that's a clear indication that it's trading. It's all trading. There isn't any long-term money going happening in the market right now. It's all trading. It's all noise. The noise is at deafening levels. It may get even more deafening if Russia does go in here in the next two weeks, or it may be the it may be the end of that issue. And gone in. It's in the news. It's priced in the market. And we and and maybe we have a little bounce. Maybe we have a little rally going up into this into this Fed meeting. Maybe Kyle's right, and we get we continue to get some more dovish news from the markets, and the markets come away from their seven to fifty interest rate increases this year, and maybe come down to a more a lower number, which the markets will like. Well, as as all investors have to always remember, the two main emotions that drive Wall Street are fear and greed. And as I Jeff s- just said, I want yeah, s- to I want to say one more thing. Okay. If you are highly allocated to growth, that's not the place to be. Not you've saying completely be, eliminate you've be, growth. You've got, you have to have that's more right. of a balance. You, you can't be not, you can't balance. be ninety percent growth in this environment. We we changed that at the beginning of this year. 
We should have taken a little bit more out of growth, but that doesn't mean that you know growth can't come back a little bit. But in this environment, you've got to have more of a balanced approach when it comes barbell. to growth value. You have to have that barbell. And we were talking about the barbell going way back to last year and the barbell strategy and our opinion with all of our years of experience of managing money at Davidson Capital is still an appropriate strategy to take, but make sure you keep your emotions in check and don't get too overly emotional by all of the noise and all of the frequency of the market because this year is going to continue to be volatile. So with that, we're coming up to the top of the hour break, so we'll take the break, go into the news, and when we come back, we'll be diving into the second hour of this weekend's MoneyWise program and continuing with investor education. So stay tuned, and we'll do that after this. You're listening to MoneyWise with Davidson Capital Management. Your MoneyWise guys will be back after the news. All opinions expressed by Davidson Capital Management on MoneyWise are solely theirs and are based upon information they consider reliable and is subject to change without notice. You should be aware of the risk in investing in any security or investment strategy discussed on the show. Before acting, you should consider whether it is suitable for your particular circumstances and should seek advice from your own financial or investment advisor. Past performance is not indicative of future results. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. We've got my father, John, my brother, Jeff, and I am your host, Kyle Davidson, and we are diving in to the second hour of this weekend's Money Wise program. Now, if you'd like to learn more about us, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com, or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday, you can reach us in our local Corpus Christi office at 906-0070 or toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. And if you have an investment-related question or topic you'd like for us to discuss here on the MoneyWise program, you can send all your emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. If you missed the first hour of MoneyWise, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Click on the radio show link where you can listen to today's show as well as past MoneyWise programs. You can also subscribe to our iTunes feed by clicking on the blue note in the upper right-hand corner of our homepage at davidsoncap.com. Thank you, Jeff. You're welcome. Well, as we like to do in most of the second hours uh, of every weekend's MoneyWise program is going to investor education. And there was a great quiz that came out in the Wall Street Journal that I, I think it's fantastic for investor education. I think it's a, it's a great way to really get all of our listeners to be thinking about their retirement if they're planning. And, and of course, everyone's working towards retirement or is possibly currently in retirement. And so, Jeff, I know you and I wanted to focus a lot of this second hour um, going into this quiz because I think it's just chalked full of a lot of great information. And, you know, as we get started, you know, what what if before you retired you had to pass a test first, kind of like a driver's test, you know, something that gauges how much you know about savings targets, medical bills, estate planning, and a few other fundamental issues? Because I guess it's kind of like, Getting your high school diploma, maybe we call this. This is why you get your retirement diploma, is you have to you have to get at least a passing grade. And we'll, I guess we'll, we'll go with seventy five percent. Seventy five percent is passing grade on this quiz. So I think we just kick it off with question number one. Now, research by Fidelity Investments recommends that workers should aim to save what multiple of their ending annual salary at age sixty seven in order to meet basic income needs in retirement. And this question has been, we've heard so many different 
Is it four times? Is it five times? Is it ten times? Now, in this quiz, we have four potential answers to that question. A is four times salary. B is six times the salary. C is eight times the salary. Or D, ten times your annual salary at age 67 in order to meet basic income needs in retirement. And the answer to that question is answer C, eight times your current salary. Now, the math is based in part on a worker beginning to save at age 25 and living to 92 years old. So a household with an annual income of $100,000 will need a minimum of $800,000 to meet basic income needs in retirement. But there is a big but here. There's always a catch. (laughs) This is the catch. This is a conservative estimate according to the National Institute on Retirement Security. By contrast, though, Aon Hewitt, which is a human resource consulting firm, estimated that 11 times salary is needed at age 65. So in that same example, you would need $1.1 million in order to meet your basic income needs if you were to retire at age 67. These numbers to me, I, I must say, and I know you guys deal with it more on a day-to-day basis, but these numbers are pretty absurd and large, honestly. $800,000. Well, think about $800,000. Yeah. Now, remember, when when we started working, and I'm from this group, we thought you were doing well if you made $10,000 a year back in the late 60s. It's called inflation, Papa Son. I, I know that, but, but, but when you see this number... $800,000, I, I don't know what the percentage would be of people that actually would have saved this for my generation, but it's got to be a lot smaller than what these numbers show in the survey. And so I guess what I'm saying is I wish sometimes we wouldn't throw a number out quite that you I mean, that's just a absurdly intimidating number. Well, remember, the part of this quiz is to set goals for oneself, and that's and that's one of the biggest problems that Americans face and pre-retirees face in this day and age is paying themselves first and preparing for retirement. That's why quizzes like this, that's why we do these educational hours on the Money Wise program like we do, is to get people to start thinking in terms of their retirement, and have I saved enough? Am I doing enough towards my retirement? Uh, and if I'm not, I need to really get on the ball. But don't think that if you're age 55 and you've saved very, very little, that your retirement's completely shot. I mean, again, you have to get on it. I'm going to have to somewhat agree with Dad, and I'm going to just throw out a couple of examples. Our grandparents... Our grandparents didn't have eight hundred thousand dollars when they retired, and they they lived. actually actually my 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 grandfather probably did have well, eight hundred thousand. But but I, but I'm retired. thinking about your parents yes. and no, mom no. and mom's no. parents. I'm, no, th- no, I'm, I'm no, talking about true. here in the last twenty five years. Yes, yes. No, that's true. And they had a, and they had a great retirement. I think what what I, what Dad and I are kind of maybe headed in the direction here, Kyle is. I, I think when, this no, number no, no, scares no, no, people. Well, I, and it does. It is a scary number. It, it, but it is used to scare people to get them to think about. But, their but we've also we've also seen a, a movement from the fin, the legacy distribution system, the financial legacy distribution system, to say that investors should use a maximum withdrawal rate of what only four percent per year. And we think that that's awfully low. And we think the reason they set it at four percent is one, 
so that they could continue to collect their high fees and expenses, and two, to keep the bar as low as possible to keep as much money on their on their in their care and control, if you will, so they could keep their high fees and expenses. And maybe this is another way of saying, okay, we can keep we get people to save more money by putting this kind of information out so that we can, again, collect more fees and expenses from folks. Okay. So question number two. A popular rule of thumb states that retirees will need 70 to 80% of their pre-retirement income in later life. Some of the best research into replacement ratios by Aon Hewitt and Georgia State University have found that a good benchmark is A, 65%, B, 75%, C, 85%, or D, 95%. Now, the answer is C, 85%. This is one case where the rule of thumb isn't far off the mark. In its own study of replacement ratios, the Social Security Administration has noted that households typically need less income later in life because income taxes are lower, people no longer need to save for retirement, and work-related expenses are reduced or completely eliminated. That said, the best way to identify one's replacement ratio is to draw up a detailed budget for later life, unfortunately. Well, with that, we're going to take another commercial break. When we come back, we'll be continuing this quiz. Think you're ready to retire? And we'll do that after this. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. Your Money Wise guys will be back after the break. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about us, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation or receive a portfolio review and analysis from your Money Wise guys, you can reach us in our local Corpus Christi office at 906-0070 or toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. And all emails can be sent to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. So before we went to the last commercial break, I was on uh, question number two of the quiz, kind of what is the rule of thumb of how much income you need to replace in retirement, and the answer was uh, 85% of your current income would need to be replaced in retirement. Dad, I know that uh, there was something you wanted to add to that figure. Well, well, again, I think this number is too high. I think it's a scary number. And, I, you know, when they throw out these big numbers like this, I don't know that this motivates people. It's almost like people throw their hands up. Because you think it's too overwhelming? It's just too overwhelming. Now, this would be different if this if we did a quiz for 28-year-old people after they've been out in the world I mean, this no, is, I agree. This, this is who should be taking the quiz. So, in high school, maybe, and you know, in a high school finance class, which unfortunately they don't teach in high school anymore, uh, you know, personal finance class, or teach it freshman finance basics one hundred and one should be a prerequisite course that you have to take as part of your general studies in your first two years in college. Right. This would be right. a great quiz. Let's to take. flashback. I'm in the, you know, I'm right in front of the baby boomers. So when I get into the corporate world there in the late 60s and get into it heavy in the 70s, we have a pension plan. I'm not contributing to this pension plan. The old defined benefit plan. And, and I'm going to have this pension plan at age 65. You know, and every year I get a statement showing me what it is. But the problem was every two or three years I'm changing jobs. And so I end up with no retirement until we finally come out with a 401K. And so now we do have a situation where young people can carry this 401K with them 
wherever they go. Wherever they go. And but, so, but they have to participate. But they have to participate. And so what I'm saying is some of this throwing out these big numbers, I, I fear that most of the people, the baby boomers, are the first 10 years of the baby boomers, they're done. They were in these same plans. They didn't start their 401ks until the 80s. There's no way in the world they've got these kind of numbers. They just aren't going to have these kind of numbers. Not, not the majority of the people. It's almost as if these first two questions are assuming that the retirees are have kids that are still teenagers and haven't gone to college yet, and they just bought their house two years before, and they have a 28 years left on their mortgage, and they got two brand-new cars yeah. in, in the garage you know, in the real world, most of the most of the people who had, when they retire, their kids are out of college. Their house is probably paid off or nearly paid off, and they have two cars in the garage that are paid for. And the reason I say it is because we see these folks every day, mm-hmm. and and they don't. And the, the typical retiree or person that's getting ready to retire comes to us and says, "Oh, my house is paid off. My cars are paid off. My kids are out of school. No credit card my, debt, and no credit card debt." And, 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 and they and they've prepared properly. They they took the proper steps of paying themselves first. But usually, Dad, they, these folks that we see have the combination of the traditional pension, like you're talking both. about, and the four hundred one k. Now, you know, and what's typical is that the pensions usually about half of their retirement savings, and then the four hundred one k is the second part. So is of it, their retirement savings. is is it bad to to want to overshoot to have no, a million dollars retirement? No, no. is is it bad to want to have seventy or eighty percent of your current uh, income in retirement going up twenty years? No, that's why not why not overestimate and shoot for the stars because if you come up a little bit short, you'll still be most likely okay. But but with all this said, again, if you are in your 50s, early 50s, mid-50s, and you haven't saved that much, we're not telling you to stop saving for no, retirement. No, no. We're saying that you need to hit the pedal to the metal and save as much as you possibly can. But also, like Jeff was saying, focus on your consumer debts. Fo- you know, Focus on you know, reducing loans, expenses. Reducing expenses because, see, that's another key to having a more comfortable retirement is by lowering your overhead. And the lower your overhead and the more money you've saved and the cheaper your cost of living is, the further your money is going to last. And one other thing that was in here that I hear you talk about all the time to people thinking about retirement is getting this budget, sitting down with your spouse or your significant other and setting these budgets out and seeing really what are you going to need. Mm-hmm. And, and again, nobody really knows what they're going to need 15 years from now. But I always say take like the last six, maybe eight months and average it and just see what you're spending. But I think also it's an exercise of opening your eyes up to how much you actually are spending. Because I think, Dad, some folks don't really pay that much attention. You know, I can tell you I budget with, with my wife like a maniac. I am a budget maniac, and I'm constantly on top of what my free cash flow is, what money's coming in and out of the door, keeping track of all of that to the penny. And I've been and I've been, uh, you know, blessed to have a wife that does it exactly the way that I do it. And so it makes our, our house a very happy home because we never have to argue about budgets or money ever, which is nice. So question number three. Question number three. Jeff. What percentage of surveyed workers aged 55 and above said they or their spouse have tried to calculate how much they will need to save to live comfortably in retirement? A, 34%, B, 44%, C, 54%, or D, 64%.
And the correct answer is C. Only about half of workers approaching retirement have done a savings needs calculation, according to the Employee Benefit Research Institute. One encouraging development is that that figure from January of the beginning of the year is up forty-two. Is up from forty-two percent in two thousand and three. So, the good news is is that more people are taking the bull by the horns, if you will, mm-hmm. and sitting down and and doing this save this this uh, savings need calculation. Well, I just think that again, this is something that everyone can do, and I hope that we're part of getting that number up. We, absolutely, and, and as we've said on this show, previous shows, as many years as we've been doing it, is there's a ton of free calculators online, a ton for you to be able to project you know, what potential retirement income you need. Am I saving enough right now based on what I've currently saved and what expenses I have? Utilize the Internet for all of these free calculators. I found a website, I wish I had it written down, that has a gazillion free calculators, and you can spend all day having fun with calculations, and the computer program does everything for you, and it's free of charge. Also, one other thing I didn't say, I think the 92 is really a ridiculously high number. As age. far as living? Yes. I, I, I don't. If think you that... look at the actuarial charts, though, Dad, right now, someone age 65, they have a better than 50% chance to live well into their 80s Yeah, that, uh, with modern advances in medicine. So uh, you can disagree with it, but I the totally disagree. I think that I mean there is very few people are going to live to be ninety two. Very, very few. I would disagree with you on that, but <laughs> that's what makes this show so fun. So question number four. Among workers age fifty five plus, what percentage think they need to save quarter of a million dollars or more for retirement? And what percentage have already saved that amount or more? And the answer is 54%, about half of the 55-plus demographic, thinks a nest egg of at least 250000 not including the value of their home or any pension, is needed later in life, according to the Employee Benefit Research Institute. But unfortunately, fewer than one in four, or less than 25%, have reached that goal. More sobering still is 36% of this age group report having saved less than $10,000. So here's where I'm coming from. We throw out a number of 800000 in question number one. We come back here on question number four, and we're saying... But that's 800000 based on a $100,000 household income, Dad. So if you make $50,000, But what I'm saying here is we, we can't even get more than one in four people to have $250,000. I know. That's why we're doing this survey, to no. really get people to start thinking. And it's kind of a, not, I don't want to say scare tactic, but it kind of is to, to, to wake people up that maybe are not on that savings bandwagon. Well, see, a quarter of a million dollars sounds like a lot of money until you think you're going to live 18 years plus plus past the age of 65, all of a sudden you put 20 years into $250,000. That's not a lot of money. That's about 12500 a year. Yeah. That's not, that's, you're not going to be on that's any a grand needs. a month. Yeah, that's not going to get you anywhere. So that's why, that's why when we're talking these numbers, this is the more sobering number to me. I mean, see, the 800 number just goes over my head. What I want to focus on and what our listeners will focus on is a lot of people think $250,000 is a lot of money for retirement. It's not. 
Not if you live 15, 20 years in it retirement. It is not. And yet, it is a quarter million dollars, which ain't hey. No, so, no, it's not. And so you've got to think in terms of the budget. You've got to think in terms of your how many years you're, you think you're going to live. You've got to watch your actuarials and see where they are. And you have to plan accordingly. You think people are going to live to be in their 90s. No, 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 no. They're statistically, I mean, these are I'm statistics just, I'm spouting. I'm just saying 250 is woefully short if you're living to be 92. No, that that's that's absolutely true. And only one in four have got that number. That's well, no, and, and what's what's even worse though? And this is 36 percent of of age 55 plus. 36 percent of this group have reported to have saved less than ten thousand dollars. Now that. That is a sobering statistic. We're coming to the bottom of the hour, so we're going to take the break, go into the news. When we come back, we'll be continuing. So you think you're ready to retire quiz, and we'll do that after this. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. Money Wise guys will be back after the news. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday, you could reach us in our local Corpus Christi office at 906-0070 or toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. And if you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. So we're continuing the quiz that came out of the Wall Street Journal, Think You're Ready to Retire? That's the title of the uh, of the article in the quiz, and we've gotten to question number five. Now, question number five is: What is the average age at which current retirees say they actually retired, and what is the expected retirement age of current workers? Now, the answer, according to the Gallup poll published in May, found that the average retiree stopped working at age 61, and that's up from 57 in 1993, and the average worker currently expects to retire at age 60, 66, up from age 60 in 1995. Giving your nest egg a boost isn't the only benefit from delaying retirement. Gallup also found that individuals age 60 to 69 who work have slightly better emotional health than those who don't work. I think since 2008, I have been making the statement that I thought that the re- one of the reasons why uh, unemployment, the unemployment rate seems to be staying at a higher level than it might, might have been in uh, recovery's past, if you will, is because of this, is because of the average worker working longer. I like the way that you put it, like a domino effect. That yeah, last yeah. domino hasn't fallen I, I off. I think he's right on it. I think he's because, right on because because if we've got if we've got thirty six percent of the fifty five plus age demographic that have saved less than ten thousand dollars for retirement, how can they actually retire? The answer is that they can't. Unless they can live strictly off of Social Social Security. Security. Well, and you can't start taking Social Security. You're 62, and you're saying the number right now is 61. And for for me, it's 65. Well, what I, I mean, what what was what was amazing though, I think, in this last question though, is that the average age of current retirees. They stopped at 61. They Which retired at they 61 retired before, they, before could get, they could get, get Social, Social Security. Security. And, now, and now workers are currently thinking about 
age 66. I mean, I which think would, it, which it would be after the majority of them start being able to collect. And, and here's security. something else that's interesting about this statistic. Remember now that the people that are in and around my age didn't get a 401k until the 80s. So they worked 10, 12, 14 years before a 401k even existed. That's true. And, and, and really, the IRAs had not been around that long. And so mm-hmm. what you're seeing here is that the people who have actually retired are those few people that stayed with a corporation, did not job switch, and the corporation exists. You know, in my case, almost every, you know, corporation I work for is no longer in business. And their pensions had to get turned over to the Pension Benefit Guarantee Corporation, and those folks have enough unfunded liabilities to handle strictly from the airline industry alone. So I find it interesting that that my age group that's retired, they said that they retired at age 61. So that tells me that they were a government worker, they were in the military, uh, they, they had some type of public service, or they were fortunate enough to have worked for a corporation that stayed in business, and they didn't job switch. Number six, what percentage of surveyed workers say they plan to continue working for pay in later life, and what percentage of current retirees say they have worked for pay? Now, the answer to that is it's among the biggest disconnects in retirement planning. The large number of current workers who anticipate earning a paycheck in later life and the relatively small percentage of retirees who actually have done so, 69% plan to work later, uh, plan to work in retirement, while 25% have worked for, uh, say they have worked for pay in, in retirement. So, I mean, that when 69% are planning to work in retirement, but in actuality only 25% do. So if you think, well, I haven't done a great job saving for my retirement. When I finally retire, I'll go get a part-time side job and, and earn money that way. Well, this this survey has found out that a lot of people plan to do that, but very few actually go out and do it. Number seven, what percentage of U.S. households are at risk of not having enough savings to maintain their living standards in retirement? Now, A, 33%, B, 43%. C, 53%, or D, 63%. Now, the answer is C, 53%. And that figure has climbed nine percentage points between 2007 and 2010, according to the National Retirement Risk Index. Now, among the reasons for the increase are the bursting of the housing bubble, falling interest rates, and the gradual increase in Social Security's full retirement age, and the approved, if painful, solution for reducing that risk is save more, Reduce expenses. That's what we were just talking about. And hang on to your current job for as long as possible. But see, this number is too low. We just said only one in four is saving two hundred fifty thousand dollars. So then how could no 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 no. no. Yeah, yeah. One in four. So how could only fifty three how is it that fifty three percent have enough savings? That can't be. The number should be 26, 25. This number is not consistent with the other number. Well, you're going to have to call the National Retirement Risk Index at the Center for Retirement Research and tell them that. But what I'm saying, these are two separate studies. This is not done by the same people. And what I'm saying here is when you start looking at these different studies, everyone has different answers. they got different numbers. And what we see, because we are on the front lines, what we're seeing is that we're seeing 
the few. We're seeing that one in four that has saved, mm-hmm. that has got this money. But you've got this other group that are relying on Social Security, and we can't even get our politicians to discuss fixing it. That's right. And, and there's enough. Uh, and, and, and now we're we're not even going to get into politics. Now we're embarked on the greatest adventure any of us has seen since Medicare in the '60s, and that's now the Affordable Care Act, which it could be the biggest misnamed act in the history of this country. You mean it should be called the Unaffordable Unaffordable Care Act, Act. Health Act? I mean, we don't know. <laughs> and so we're on this. We're right on the cusp of this new horizon which is the most important thing for seniors. Now, they tell us as seniors that our Medicare is is going to stay the same. Well, excuse me if all of a sudden I'm not concerned because I heard the president say, if you want to keep your health care, you can, and now we've learned this week that's not true. Only if your plan was in existence prior to the 2010 deadline. So moving on to question number eight. If you retire at age 65, what percentage of your life can you expect to live in retirement? And, Dad, you kind of alluded to this yeah, a the, few segments ago. Yeah. Let me get to the answer. Hold hold your horses there. Hold my water. <laughs> 14%, B, 17%, C, 20%, or D, 23%. And the answer is D, 23%. The average life expectancy for a 65-year-old is 19.1 years, which means the average American will spend close to one quarter of his or her life in retirement. Again, the key as to why you have to save for retirement. And remember, we now have that giant rat that's gone through the snake that's coming out with the baby boomers that has skewed all of the numbers all my life in every day, how many more are retiring? And we're getting ready to change health care for everyone in the country. You lost me with the rat through no, the I'm snake. Just, <laughs> I'm saying baby boomers was this giant group of population okay. uh-huh. that skewed schooling. Then it skewed housing. And it's going to skew Social it, Security it's benefits It's going to skew whatnot. entitlements. Yep. And what are we doing at the one time we shouldn't be fooling with this? We've just got ourselves into the health care situation. Mm-hmm. And so what I'm saying is that while these guys are up there screwing around with the budget ceilings and everything else, as we talked about on show number one back in November 2005, entitlement tsunami wave continues to approach the beside Okay, so question number nine. A 65-year-old couple retires this year. In 2013, how much money will they need to cover medical expenses throughout their retirement? A, $100,000, B, $140,000, C, $180,000, or D, $220,000? Now, this number will probably shock some of our listeners. The answer is D. The figure from Fidelity Investments is actually down 8% from projections in 2012. So you'll need $220,000 to cover medical expenses throughout your retirement. Now, the re- but the remaining significantly larger than most. Now, this number is is significantly larger than most consumers estimate. And a Fidelity poll of pre-retirees age 55 to 64 found that nearly 48% believe that they will only need $50,000 to pay 
health care costs in retirement. What's also problematic is that the estimated $220,000 doesn't include the possible cost of over-the-counter medication, most dental services, and long-term care. See, to me, this is the largest threat to the baby boomers, and they don't even understand Medical it. costs. Medical costs. Health care. And you guys, from time to time, kind of wade into, you know, what I and your mother have dealt with here for a few years, and that is the cost, current cost of <clears throat> medical care, like a visit to a emergency room and what that can cost. $200,000? $220,000. That number is too low. Whatever that number is, I'd believe 800000 before I'd believe 200000 because the truth is we don't know what that number is. Well, and we know that medical costs are spiraling way out of control, and the government is doing nothing to get control of them. With that, we're going to take another commercial break. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. Your Money Wise guys will be back after the break. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday, you could reach us in our local Corpus Christi office at 906-0070 or toll free at 1-800-275-2162. And if you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. So in our last segment of this weekend's uh, Money Wise program, we want to wrap up. So you think you're ready to retire quiz from the Wall Street Journal. Uh, getting to question 10, what percentage of participants in defined contribution savings plans, that includes 401Ks, contribute the maximum amount allowed each year? A, 5%, B, 15%, C, 25%, or D, 35%. Now, this might be shocking. This is easy. Yeah, it actually might not be shocking, I should say. The answer is A, 5%. Only 1 in 20 savings plan participants contribute the maximum amount allowed annually, which is currently $17,500, according to a survey by the Government Accountability Office. A Vanguard study published in June found that only 11% of participants in Vanguard-administered plans saved the maximum in 2012, and only 15% of those eligible took advantage of the catch-up contribution provision, which is an additional $5,500 you can save on top of $17,500 for anyone over the age of 50. So, I mean, num- that's, that's, that's we shocking, been, you know, low. Well, we have, been on, we have been on for a long time talking about low, participa- low participation rates in 401Ks. So you compound been, low participation with low contribution well, on lo- top lo- of that. Yeah, and you, when you add those two together... Then you're then it's very easy to see how someone how we have what was it thirty some odd thirty six percent of fifty five uh, folks over fifty five years of age having reported saving less than ten thousand dollars. That's right. So if you have a four hundred one k plan available to you as an employee, participate. Question number eleven of the quiz: A household age sixty five is living on one hundred and twenty thousand dollars a year, and at three percent inflation. How much money would that household need at age 75 and at age 85? And I could answer that okay, question, Jeff. At age 75 with 3% inflation, 
you would need $161,000. And at age 85, you would need $217,000. And this is a topic that we've talked about on this show time and time again, how many investors are not paying attention to monetary inflation, why they're continuing to accept extremely low returns, in this low interest rate environment, by having high allocations to fixed income in their portfolios, that, that's right, and that inflation is eroding purchasing power. Let me put it in a simpler way: five thousand dollar grocery bill today would cost over nine thousand dollars in twenty years. And I used to use also that car example: what your sixty-seven fastback cost versus what the average cost uh, of a car. Thirty-six hundred dollars. Yeah, what is the average cost of a Mustang today? Well over $30,000. That's inflation. Uh, question number 12. What percentage of households age 65 through 74 carry housing debt and credit card debt? The answer is 41% carry housing debt and 32% carry credit card debt. Now, this housing figure is from 2010 and is up from 25% in 1992, says the Employee Benefit Research Institute, and the credit card figure is unchanged over that period. The median value of mortgage debt for a household aged 65 to 74 in 2010 was $70,000, according to AARP, and that is up from $15,400 in 1989. Question number 13 from the quiz. What percentage of workers have obtained investment advice from a professional financial advisor who is paid through either fees or commission? Now, the, the four options we have are A, 13%, B, 23%, C, 33%, or D, 43%. Now, the answer is B. Only 23% of workers have obtained investment advice from a professional financial advisor. And of those... 41% said they followed most of the advice. About a quarter said they followed all of it. The other quarter said they followed some of it. And if you're not just looking to get advice and actually looking to get professional management, the one thing that we always try to teach on the Money Wise program is that if you do not want to be making the day-to-day -day investment decisions on your retirement nesting, you need to find a competent and experienced registered investment advisor that's completely fee-based, that will be able to take that discretionary control, that will be sitting on that wall to be making the day-to-day -day decisions with your retirement nest egg. So to summarize from this entire quiz, um, it's a lot of great information. Uh, hopefully it's information that is a wake-up call for some people. Uh, if you're a, long, a younger, longer, if you're a younger listener to the Money Wise program, hopefully this provided you some education and maybe motivated yeah. you to get on the ball to, as we've always said on this program, to pay yourself first. But if you're in your 50s and you're part of that 36% that have saved less than $10,000, don't think that it, you're completely hopeless to retire. You have time. You have to start yeah. saving. You have to start investing. Retirement saving is not a race. It's a marathon. That's right. And those who have you know, a lot more time to run that marathon are going to be the ones that, that are, I think, in, in the end, are going to have a much better retirement and, and be much more comfortable. Now, that's not to say for those, for those of us that are, list, that are listening to our show that might be in that 36% that have saved less than $10,000. It's never too late to get started. 
It's never too late to get motivated. It's never too late to train for for that marathon. I, I, I like is that. Time, is Training. time is time on your side? Well, you know, you you've time is what it is. It is what it is, as they say. But that doesn't mean you should just give up, sit on your hands, and and not at least make the effort to participate in that 401k that you have it have it work and increase your contributions or if you've been to a many like we, we continue to see many investors that have been sitting on the sidelines when it comes to not having, participating not participating in the, in the stock side of the market not having some of their portfolio invested in stocks still sitting in cash still sitting in high allocations to fixed income it's never too late to, to start to make a change and, and, you know, retirement planning would be extremely easy if all of us were given a piece of paper the day we were born that said the day that we were going to be leaving this earth. Retirement planning would be very, very easy. Unfortunately, none of us know when our last day on this earth is going to be. And so the best thing to do is to be prepared and to plan. That's absolutely the key. And pay yourself first and constantly be thinking about that prize kind of like Jeff said that marathon there's a finish line at the end of that marathon it's a long race but you will eventually get to that finish line and so you have to prepare and plan and for so it. And so if you're not sure where you're at in your marathon if you think you need to be saving more if you're not if you're not sure what you own in 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 retirement if you want to get a a a, a look at your retirement plan and see if Am I invested in the right securities? You know, give give us a call at Davidson Capital Management. We'll be happy to do a free portfolio review and analysis. Okay. And you can reach us at 906-0070 or toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. And with that, we'd like to thank everyone for listening to this weekend's Money Wise program. For my father, John, and my brother, Jeff, this is Kyle Davidson saying have a fantastic weekend. And to your financial health, we will talk to you next week.